Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 4th, 2018, and my name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, November 2nd, 2018, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study share ID is 12130-12,130, and the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study meeting share ID number is 12134-12,134. This morning, A Vision for You presents The Vital Spiritual Experience. Bill speaks of it through extensively throughout the book. We've heard of it and have experienced it. You'll find an amplified version of what this means, so it's all inclusive on page 564 in the fourth edition of the big book. Is it immediate, electric? Is it a white light experience? Or slow over time educational variety? Most of us have what William James calls the slow educational variety. Lessons learned and yielded to one experience at a time, which at one time was nearly impossible to learn from our mistakes, let alone come close to being transformed or reborn. It's necessary to arrest our compulsive overeating or alcoholism, this vital spiritual condition. Each one of us have had our, or will have a personal encounter with it. We must. For it is the depth required within that experience that allows an alcoholic or a compulsive overeater to never pick up again and to be willing to do whatever is necessary to work the steps to be transformed. A fine example of one that had a tremendous amount of knowledge and being dried at the time, dry at the time is Roland Hazard. And he was released from Dr. Jung's immediate care and attempting to return to America, yet not having the vital spiritual experience succumb to the desire again. He gave us this lesson. Roland Hazard was seemingly a hopeless alcoholic. And upon his return, having picked up again, was pronounced incurable by the famous psychiatrist Dr. Carl Jung. You'll find this writing on page 27 of your big book. Desperately, he asked, is there no exception? And he was told, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had vital spiritual experiences. The doctor further explained, they seem to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes were suddenly cast aside and a completely new set of conceptions and motives began to dominate them. Neither the healing of addiction nor the overcoming of character defects will happen by mere willpower, by just gritting our teeth and just getting to it. According to Bill W., a vital spiritual experience is necessary for addicts to wake up and begin the process of recovery. Bill W. had what he described as an immediate white light sort of vital spiritual experience, never to drink again and to never think the way he had once thought, which was primarily about himself. According to the big book, these are the recognizable benchmarks that will tell us we are having a vital spiritual experience, never picking up again and having had a personality different than what we had before. This vital spiritual experience is not one and done. It is ours 
so long as we stay in fit spiritual condition, which is our daily maintenance of the 12 steps on our thinking and on our lives. This will include a completion of a step nine to be vital and the daily working of 10, 11, and 12. Chrissy G. is a recovered compulsive overeater and she hails from New Jersey and is dedicated to the simple program of recovery and is with us today to explain to us how this experience came to her, how she came about to have hers, and we're curious to know, was it a white light or the slow educational variety or a combination of the two? We're delighted to invite her on the line today to have just this kind of discussion with us. Chrissy G., welcome to the line. Um, I, when I was thinking of this topic, I was thinking of just that, the semantics of the word experience and the fact that it's caused enough confusion over the years in recovery that there's a whole appendix in the back that explains it. And I mean, as an addict, I know myself, I overcomplicate things. And I think that's part of the disease. It's like I want to make it, you know, my disease wants to make it too complicated for me so that I stay, I stay sick. Because I do believe that that's part of the disease, the wanting to stay sick, the wanting to hold on to the old ideas and the old behavior, even though there's something within us that wants, wants more and believes that, that more is possible, that healing is possible. So the word experience, when I was when I was thinking about doing this talk, and I, um, I'm a teacher by trade and education, and you know, in terms of like experiential learning, I was thinking about experiential learning, and just I want everybody to just to think of of the idea of working through the the process of the twelve steps for me. Uh, in my experience, when going through it, I I felt I felt something. I had an experience, and um, you know, in terms of the bigness or smallness of that experience, I don't know how relevant that is uh, for anyone desiring a change in their thinking and their behaving and their feeling that's on the line. I don't know that it's important to to think about, to to have to understand if it has to be a a big white light or a small what is important I do believe is and Melanie said it that we have an experience with this power. And and how do we do that? Well, the way the way I did it was to go to be led through the big book and the twelve steps, and um, prior to that, before before I had the willingness, really the right attitude to recover, I tried what most of you have tried. I've I tried to figure it out myself and do do the diets. And um, my my favorite way was through books that was my thing like i i wanted to read myself um into recovery and into health and so i read um i read a lot of books um 
love. Love is letting go of fear. Um, I read that book. That was, I have to say, that was a transformational book for me. But I read that book when I was deep, knee deep in my addiction. And, you know, all of, I really do believe that all, all the, the pain and the, and the tries and the mistries were necessary for me to come to the place where I could wholeheartedly accept what I needed to do to get better. And, you know, I was just thinking about the questions that you, you can ask yourself if you're in the middle of the addiction and wanting, wanting a change and, and, and maybe a spiritual experience sounds like something that's appealing to you if it could get you to stop feeling the way you're feeling and behaving the way you're behaving. Um, so to newcomers, um, just question yourself, are you powerless to change yourself? You know, I, I figured out very quickly that no matter how many books I read, I wasn't going to be able to stop behaving the way I did because I would put the book down and then go binge and, and purge or um, binge and pass out, whichever the case was that day. And the other question is, are you powerless to change not only yourself, but how you think, how you feel? Do you want to change how you think and how you feel? Or do you want to hold on to it? And that's something that I had to, I had to see. You know, when, when I came in four years ago to OA, to the vision meeting, and, and I was going to look squarely at how I was trying to manage and control my eating disorder for 20 years in AA, I had to look at it squarely and say, you know, I, I am powerless over this. Look, look how, where it's brought me. You know, I had moments of control, moments of control, but never powerless to change my thinking and my feeling and never to, to change the fact that I ultimately always went back to restricting food or to obsessing about food or to compulsively overeating food. That food, food won. Food was in control. I was powerless. Um, so do you want to change how you think and how you feel? Or do you want to hold on and stay stuck? You know, it's the, the idea of change is scary. And I think that's partly the reason to make the clarification between the white, part of the reason to make the clarification between the white light experience um, and the slow and gradual awakening. Because I, I don't know about you, but the idea, although I wanted to feel different, I didn't know what different was and different seemed scary to me. Um, you know, I, I knew this one way, this one way of thinking and being, and yeah, it, it was miserable, but it was mine. And, and I knew what it was and, and it, it felt safe in some ways. So the idea of having a sudden rearrangement and white light experience might be overwhelming for some people. And it's, I think it's true to say that most people have the slow and steady 
But what you need to know, I think, very importantly, what I needed to know and I didn't, I didn't understand, I didn't understand that I needed to have an experience with the steps. I needed to have an experience with power. That's the important, I think that's the important take home that I, that I want to, I want to reiterate over and over to those people who may have gone through the steps and, and say, oh, I did those, I did those. And, you know, and they didn't have a vital spiritual experience because they continued to use food. They continued to think the way they always did. Now for myself, and I can only share my experience, strength and hope, which is what my sponsor reminded me this morning, only my experience, strength and hope, is that when I put down all my substances, and that for me was alcohol, food, drugs, and really, really importantly, codependent relationships. So the need, the need to find myself and validate myself and other people. When, when I hit bottom with all of those, and uh, the last two was four years ago the, with the food and the codependency, it, at, at that point, I was willing. I was willing to, to do anything, and I, I was willing to have an experience, and I let go of those, and I, can only, I could only, for me, have that experience when I let go of those things. And, and I did, I did, I had a powerful experience and it, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's, it's looking at my thinking, speaking how I think about a thing to another person that's in the fourth and the fifth step. I'm speaking about my old way of thinking about a thing, something that I've been holding on forever, a resentment something, a belief about a person and how they treated me forever. I've been thinking that and believing that and, and just like storing it in my body. And then to, to speak about it to someone else and to hear myself and to hear a fresh new perspective on the situation and to go through the whole process, which I'm going to bring you through the process of one of my resentments with my father that was old and festering and I never thought I could see it. Although I wanted to see it another way, I never thought I'd be able to. Who wants to walk around? I mean, at least I know I didn't. I didn't want to walk around angry and hurt. I really didn't, you know. But yet every time I put my addictions down, all the hurt, the memories and the hurt would come flooding back to me. And it, it was there. And I didn't, I didn't want to feel it. But it, I couldn't change my mind about a thing, how I saw a thing. So um, how, how you think and how you feel needs to be changed. And do you want to let go of your drug? This is another question, a newcomer, or someone who's been struggling for years even with having an, an experience or letting the drug go so that you could have an experience. This is one of the simple requirements spoken about on page 50 that we have to let go of our drug. So I want to I want to go over to page 50. 
and it says at the bottom, the fourth paragraph, here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declared that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude towards that power, that's so important. I'll highlight that a little bit later. And to do certain simple things. There has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after, this happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. I love that. Wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. And am I really wholeheartedly accepting those requirements if I'm still using my drug, whatever that may be? If I'm still wanting to hold on to my my old ideas, it says over and over again, we've heard it, the result is nil until we let go absolutely. And the the addiction is cunning and baffling. I, I told you my experience was for 20 years that I thought that I was recovered from food addiction and it took me hitting an unbelievable bottom to realize I was just managing and controlling my food. I, I, my, my thinking, my thinking has hadn't changed. Um, my behavior, my behavior around food had changed to certain degrees. When I came into AA 20 years ago, I stopped. I stopped compulsively overeating and binging and purging um, on unhealthy food. And my addiction morphed into something different because I hadn't had a vital spiritual experience as a result of working the steps. Um, So let's see. I wanted to also go over to page 26 and 27 where I wanted to focus, as Melanie's intro was saying. The it's um, the dislodging of whatever is blocking us from God's love that is the power moving through us. The fourth step is a spiritual detox. So we, we find that out when we read this, when it says that we have to do certain simple, we have to do certain simple things, right? We have to few simple requirements, and it is simple. The fourth and fifth step are simple. Let's go over, it, especially when you have a wonderful recovered sponsor to take you through. So I'm, I'm going to take you over to page 26 and to a certain American businessman. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrists. Then he had gone to Europe placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist, Dr. Young, who prescribed for him. 
Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to this doctor, whom he admired, and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. And for us, food. Why was this? He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never again regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was a great physician's opinion. So the way I thought, you know, was going to get me back to the food. The way, the way my, my mind worked, my ideas, my beliefs, all of that, the way it was, was going to get me back to the food. So I needed my, my thinking, my beliefs, and my ideas needed changing, and they needed changing from a higher power. Reading all the books in the world never did it. I was back in the food, just like he was back in the alcohol. But this man, it says, still lives and is a free man. And he does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And I, that to me, that is, it's such it, very gentle words, certain simple attitude. But it's, to me, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. Remaining willing to maintain a certain simple attitude is steps one, two, three to me. It establishes that openness to outside help, to new ideas. Um, all religions are the purpose and spiritual practices is to keep us opening up, keep us open and seeking to have the needed attitude change, to become restored to sound thinking. And, you know, it's like that attitude, getting that, that simple attitude towards our higher power. Like we, we have to go through steps one, two, and three. We have to know that we're powerless. We, we, we had to try by our own power to change and fail again and again and again some people more than others failing again and again and you know i i don't know you know that's the big that's the big question how how much suffering does it take before we realize that we need to have a power outside ourselves change us but nevertheless that's what it requires a certain simple attitude i can't he can i'm going to let him that's what i was told in aa what seems like a hundred years ago, um, and and I wanted to talk briefly 
because for me, one of my sticking points was to turn my will and my life over to God was a scary prospect because I could take an attitude. I could say, yes, I'm powerless. And yeah, I do believe that there's a power. But that still, do I still want to wholeheartedly let go of my drug when I'm turning my care over to something that I don't know, that I haven't had an experience with yet? And it was pointed out to me, again, a very subtle word, care. That's step three. We're, we're turning our will and our life over to the care of a higher power. So it's not haphazardly just throwing caution to the wind and saying, okay, I'm just going to be led down any road because any road is better than the road I'm on, even, even if it's, you know, not terrific. No, that's not what I signed on for. That's not what I experienced. I experienced my life changing for the better. I, I experienced a loving power coming in. And it says another word for care is concern. And to care for someone is to look out for them and to watch for them. So I love the idea of my higher power Look, looking out for me and being concerned about my life. I mean, it's the basis. That's the basis of my life today is that belief that I have a higher power. And not only the belief, but I am so happy to report the experience that there's a higher power looking out for me. I've experienced that in my life. So let me go on to read. Um, Okay, so the certain simple attitude. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with this doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. And this bear is repeating over and over. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding force of our lives, of these men are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions, motives, began to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Upon hearing this, 
our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the vital spiritual experience. Okay. So I, um, I wanted to talk before I go into one of my resentments and going through the process and how my thinking changed, how I had an emotional rearrangement. I want to just talk about the idea of insanity because there are so many and the, the, we agnostics talks about it beautifully. I think the 12 and 12 talks about it really in depth, like all the blocks to believing in a power greater than ourselves, all the, all the, the doubts that we have about having this spiritual experience, I think they, it speaks really well to that. But one of the barriers for some people, you know, can, can you admit that you were insane? You know, with, everybody's got a different experiences and have a context for different words. And insanity, you know, some people could say, okay, my life was unmanageable, but I was raising kids and I was, you know, some people, can't can't um, claim insanity all the time. They can claim insanity around the food, but we we need to. I need I needed to realize that my thinking was insane, not just around food, but the way I thought about myself, others, and this higher power and the world kept me stuck in a loop of insane thinking that was too painful to live with. And so the the DSM-5 describes um, this insanity um, very, very well. For me, you know, it says that the insanity was, another word is delusions, like having delusional thoughts. And the most common delusional thought is the belief. I found this really, really interesting in the DSM-5, which is the book that describes all psychiatric conditions, psychological disorders. It's the most common type of delusion is the belief that one is being tormented, followed, sabotaged, tricked, spied on, ridiculed, and people with delusions have thoughts that are contrary to actual evidence. So in writing step four, in the experience that I have, it was a fact-finding mission. You know, I saw the world and the way I was treated in, in one way, right? I saw it in one way. That's the way I saw it. In writing out the way I saw it, and then that was the fact-finding mission, and then step five was the fact, the, the fact-checking mission where with another person, I saw where I was deluded. Where was I delusional? Where was my thinking wrong, inaccurate? You know, I had my version of the story and I made assumptions about others without truly knowing because I didn't even know what was lying beneath my own unconscious mind until 
I was ready to take stock and take inventory of my thinking and question it. You know, what motivated me? What, what drove me? It's impossible to know what drives other people. But it's saying that as a re- result of these steps, we, we will have a change where our, our motivations will change. What drives us is going to change. And because I'm turning my will and my life over to God's care or to the care of a higher power, to the care, to the love of a higher power, I know that that change is going to be good. Okay, so there's no reason for me not to do this now. Now that all of my defenses have been shot down and my reasons for not doing this, I can say, okay, I'm ready to to wholeheartedly meet these simple requirements, as it says in the book. Um, so in We Agnostics, it says, on one proposition, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than ourselves. So all, in all the re- recovery stories that you'll read in the back of the book, which I lived for when I first came into the program, because I was, I was seeing it, God, I, God is my higher power, and he opened my mind up when I read this book. I had an experience. With those stories, I was having an experience. Um, there are so many stories back there that just moved me in a way that I, I saw, I understood that they were one way and then a power came through them and they were changed. And like I said, I don't want us to get caught up on the the pace of that. You know, I, I don't believe that God and the universe and the higher power and the creator are very conscious of time. You know, I think that's a man-made construct. And, you know, in terms of how quickly or slowly this happens, I know it's easier said than done because people want to feel better and feel different. But I promise that for me, having putting down all my drugs and working with a recovered sponsor on this this fact-finding and fact-checking mission, God came in and made a change in me that was positive, good, and lasting. Uh, It says, okay, it says in the book, here thousands of men and women, worldly indeed, they flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. Okay, so how did my thinking keep me in bondage of my addiction? Well, one of my resentments that was deep and, and lasting, and it was, it was one that kept me in my food addiction, which my addiction, I really do believe my addiction has a personality all its own. And the part of me that is so tied into that addiction, so married to it, wants to stay in it. So my resentments are things that, that I cherished. I cherished those resentments, those hurts, because then I didn't have to change. I didn't have to take responsibility for any of my thinking, any of my behavior. You would think this way. You would feel this way. You would drink. You would eat. You would do this. 
if your father told you you were fat, right? So my resentment was I was a little girl walking downtown in a town, a little town near Sandy Hook, New Jersey, um, where I spent the first 10 years of my life, spent many days eating at B&H Market, getting um, all sorts of yummies from there and, and, and binging and forgetting about my pains and my hurts. And the result of which, my body was noticeably larger than the average eight, nine, ten-year-old. So I'm walking down the street, and one of my father's friends um, was with his girlfriend, and I was walking, and we did one of those, like, I move to the left, you move to the right kinds of things, and and I laughed, I, I, you know, because it's funny when that happens, right? But he turned to me with the most sour and, like, disgusted. He was, like, disgusted with me. Look on his face, and he said, if you weren't so effing fat, you wouldn't take up the whole sidewalk. So I thought we were having, like, this human interchange of, like, oh, it's so funny how human beings are. I'm going to the left, you're going to the right, you know, and we're... And I was floored, as anyone would be. And that, that's, that's the amazing thing about resentments. A lot of times, you could get anyone to agree with you that you should be heard about a thing and that people suck and that people are mean. You know, there's so much evidence. Look at all this evidence. And I wanted to hold on to that evidence. And I had a whole case built for why the world sucked, that there was no God that loved me. I had all of these old ideas. So I ran home and I told my father, Dad, you know, I was crying. Oh, my God, Dad, your friend, you know, the guy with the girlfriend, the one, he has the blonde hair and the beard. You know, I didn't know his name. I was like, he said, he said this to me, and I told him he said I was fat. And my father got really red in the face. And, and said, and looked at me and said, well, if you weren't so fat, he wouldn't have said that. And he said it angry, so angry. He was so angry. And I remember just, you know, something snapping in me, me believing in that moment, the way I saw the story, my version of that story, and that version I would hold on to until my mid-40s, was that my father was disgusted with me. He didn't love me. He agreed with the world that fat people have no reason to live. Um, and, and so I had no reason to live and that I was nothing more than my body. My body was fat. I was fat. My brain was fat. I had nothing to offer the world. That is exactly what I heard at that moment when my father said that, and that's what I believed. So those beliefs, carrying those beliefs around, why would I have a reason? Why would I have a reason to live? Well, and and even, even further than that, you know, the opposite telling me true. Oh, oh, you mean if I'm skinny, then I am worth something? People will have to love and respect me if I'm skinny. 
because I'll be worth it. So I tried that for many years with anorexia and bulimia and watching and obsessing about my weight, trying to look a certain way. And guess what? It's, it didn't go away. I still, I still felt those feelings. I still felt those feelings. I still didn't feel the love of myself. And so when I'm looking at this resentment, you know, I have to, I have to pray for my father, right? That's what they say. And, and, and before I could do that, I really had to see why it hurt so much. So to see what was threatened in me, what, what was threatened by him saying that, you know, um, dad told me if I, I wasn't fat, that man wouldn't have said that, you know? So my security, my desire to be loved unconditionally was being threatened there. My ambition to never be told I was doing anything wrong and never, never be criticized. And also, my, the, the dishonesty toward, towards myself, towards life and other people, this belief, this false belief that no one should ever do anything wrong or make a mistake. No one should ever say anything wrong or mistakenly hurt another person, right? And that everything that people say is true. Like all of that, I believed all of that. That all threatened my security, the way I wanted to feel in the world, that I wanted a daddy to love and protect me, to go up there and beat that man up, you know? And really, the fear, the, why that's so scary is because I needed to change. When I was confronted in however, whatever way it was that I was confronted and I was confronted with, with the consequences of my compulsive overeating, I was confronted with the fact that I would need to change. The world would not change to accommodate me. I would need to change. My thinking would need to change. My behavior would need to change. Um, and that was scary. You know, I would just eat more to cover that up, uh, that I needed to change. I knew I couldn't change myself. What was going to change me? Was there a God there that was going to change me? Is that possible? I've ne- I never saw anybody change up until that point. I never saw anybody change until my aunt got sober in AA when I was in my 20s. And, and I, knew, I knew that there, just seeing her not drink, I knew there had to be a higher power. And that, that was one of the other um, slow spiritual, that was a spiritual experience for me, but an awakening, a process to see my aunt sober and not drinking. Um, I experienced her as a sober person. And and I knew it to be true. Um, So God is always pushing me towards health and wholeness. That that I can see now, right? So my my father, you know how how he was thinking in that moment about the situation. He couldn't. To me, when I say this sick man's prayer, I can see where my father's thinking was delusional. He felt like he couldn't protect me. And if I continued to be overweight, the world would condemn me. 
and he can't protect me. And most importantly, I think this is the bottom of all, all our insane thinking, at least my insane thinking and, and the people who I've experienced in my life, their sane thinking, insane thinking is that there's no higher power, that we're here to fend for ourselves, that our survival is our business. Um, to make, so he had to make me tough. He had to make me a survivor. You know, he was scared. He was, he was saying, this, this, this girl that I'm sending out into the world, look in the way she does. She is going to get abused. And so he was scared and frightened. And, and God is always pushing me towards health and wholeness. He's not indulgent. God is not indulgent. He wants the best for me. He wants me to see the truth about myself. And I'd like to say that that doesn't involve any pain, but it truly does. And it took me many years to look at this situation in a whole other way. And so, as my sponsor said, I turned the corner. I turned the corner from resenting my father and blaming my father for not loving me enough to protect me, to seeing the truth that there's only one for me, father, who is loving enough and capable enough to protect me. And that's my higher power and a belief in a higher power that my father was only, was only capable of giving me what he gave me. And that was a tough talking to. He wanted, he wanted to wake me up, show me, you know, well, you Chrissy, you are fat. And you're going to keep getting teased if you don't lose that weight. And as painful as that was at that moment, that was my father's very human, very fallible way of loving me the best that he could at that moment. Um, so the selfishness in my thinking when I turned the corner is that I wanted to never be judged and criticized. I want people to say, only compliment me. And I want people to tell me it's okay if I compulsively overeat, that life is difficult and you might as well just have fun while you're here. Eat up, drink up, and, and you know, don't feel bad about it. Um, I didn't question my creator and how he would have me be. I took matters in my own hands. I was here. I was going to take what I could to make myself feel better, to try to fix myself, to try to enjoy life, to survive the best that I could because I did not take my higher power into consideration. That was my selfishness. That is the bottom of my selfishness, is the inability to see that there's a higher power. The, um, the thinking that, that I am in charge of my own life and that if I don't take care of myself, no one else will. That is the crux of the selfishness that they talk about in the addict mind. That's what I've come to see and come to believe. That's been my experience. So the self-seeking is that I wanted everyone to tell me that it was okay to do what I was doing. I wanted, 
I wanted to stay in the food. I wanted to stay stuck. I wanted to stay addicted, and I didn't want to change. I, sorry, my daughter was asking me a question. Um, the dishonesty. I wasn't hurting myself with food. That's, that's what I believed. That's what I believed. I believed I was taking care of myself. That was the lie. You know, if I could, if I could just believe that lie, even if it was a lie that I only believed for five minutes until after the binge, it, when I was sitting down watching, there was a show called Blanche's Beauties when I was little with um, uh, Scott Bayo, who I had a total crush on from Happy Days. And then they had a spinoff show called Blanche's Beauties. And Blanche's Beauties and a package of Pop-Tarts or box of Pop-Tarts, if I'm going to be really honest, was that to me was taking care of myself. There was no God to take care of me. That was my God. Um, so that was the dishonesty that I was taking my care of myself by compulsively overeating. Um, the truth was that I could never care for myself the way that God could care for me because God created me. God has the blueprints for my life. God knows me better than I know myself. And I need, I need God to come in and reveal all of that to me. And I, this, I wrote down this, this sentence that I got from a reading somewhere else, and it says, luminosity and depth of seeing, broad and deep perceptions. And for me, that's what the, experience, the spiritual experience has been and continues to be, a luminosity and depth of seeing, broad and deep perceptions, things that I couldn't see on my own. So when I did this step with my sponsor and we talked about it and we looked at it and I spoke it out loud and I saw the truth. I saw the truth about my father's humanist. I saw the truth about my unwillingness to, to face responsibility for my own life and my own happiness and my own well-being and the truth about the destructive nature of my eating disorder. When I was able to to see that out loud with someone else, my thinking about it all changed. How could it not? How could the way that I see my father after that not change? You know, my dad went from someone who was cruel and, you know, cruel and, and crazy to someone who was scared, deeply frightened, scared for their, for their child and feeling powerless over trying to protect her and that that you know he had no god he had no god to turn me over to what other what other choice did he have but to toughen me up and to to send me out into the world hopefully hopefully different changed by his words so i i wouldn't i wouldn't have to get hurt the way that i did that day right again so, um, yeah, the fear, the fear was that I wasn't loved and, and how could I, how could I see that I wasn't, how could I say that I wasn't loved after I saw my father's face when I look back at that, at that time, even my memories about what his face looked like changed. 
you know, it's like a meditation when you go back and you remember these memories um, through working the fourth and the fifth step with someone else. And you turn the corner and you see how your thinking was distorted, how you were deluded into thinking one way and how those thoughts are what was causing you suffering and not the actual experience. Because now I look back on that experience, I see my father's face filled with terror and love and pain, pain from me because he loved me so deeply and he had absolutely no power to protect me from the world. And the fear that there's nothing that anyone can do to protect themselves, that we're all out here just on our own. What a scary way to live. What a spiritual sickness. I can truly say that's sick man's prayer for my father and, and know that he was spiritually sick and still may be, um, and I can love him in a, in a whole different way. Um, so I, I ha- now have a relationship with my father that's much different, you know. It's... Um, it's not, it's not like the past doesn't change when you're thinking about the past changes. It doesn't, it doesn't really change, right? So I still had that, that thing happen to me, but the way I think about it has changed and the way I understand my father's feelings for me has changed. And so what continues to happen is I continue to have experiences with people when I see other people now in my day-to-day life say something that I used to find hurtful before when I didn't believe that there was a God that was taking care of me, I, I used to see these people and they would say something to me and they would say it out of fear and it was a twisted fear mixed with love. Like I, I see people say things to me like, Chrissy, oh, you better not you know, just fill in the blanks. And it, it used to hurt me. And now I can, I, I um, experience it as love. It's a new experience. I'm having new experiences because my thinking has changed. So um, now, you know, in terms of the fifth step helping me to see what I couldn't see on my own, and I could, I could hear the inaccuracies of my thinking when it was said out loud, and it changes. And now my perceptions are different because I no longer see people who say angry, hurtful things. I should say all people who say angry and hurtful things. You know, some of them don't, don't know me. You know, if someone's saying something angry and hurtful and they don't know me, I'm just representing someone that they do know that they can't that they can't help or fix and the fear in their eyes are the fear in their eyes and their hearts has all to do with their own fear that they can't control or fix anything and they don't have a belief in a higher power they don't have a belief in their higher power and a trust in that higher power that they're going to be taken care of you know and they're just spewing that onto me. I realize that. I realize that now. And it has nothing to do with me. And I could pray for them. 
So making amends, you know, doing, first of all, doing my sixth and seventh was, you know, having new ideals. Now that my thinking changed, now that I didn't believe that there was no higher power that was there to care for me, I could see there in that, in that moment that even God was using that, that circumstance for good for me because he was showing me the truth about my addiction, as painful as that was. And I needed, God wants the best for me. He's not going to indulge me in my disease. He's not going to keep me stuck. No, he's going to push me to health, to more wholeness. And, um, and that, so that's, so once that thinking changed and, I, and, and I, I, I came to believe in a power greater than myself, my ideals changed. The love of myself, the love of God, all of that, you know, it was, it was something that I was experiencing in, in my day-to-day life. And it, it's expansive. It continues to unfold. Um, so in the past where my, my driving force of my life was to live up to my own um, standards that I thought that I should live up to, who I should be, um, the, the love of other people, and the respect of other people to be valued and noticed. That was my driving force. And now my ideals are different. You know, all, all that I do isn't for that purpose. I have a different, different motive, a different driving force, as it says. What's motivating me today is the love of God. Just I can see my life in all of the, the whole inventory that I did and en- every inventory that I take now, I see the hand of God in it. I see it everywhere. My eyes have been changed. My perceptions have been changed so that I can see that differently. So if you are thinking about do, taking, doing these simple requirements um, of, the, of the 12 steps, you're thinking about wanting to have a a vital spiritual experience, I would say there's nothing to fear that I've walked through, many of us have. In this book, you can read about them. On the lines, you could hear them. And we've come to the other side and we're experiencing something different. Um, In the 12 and 12, I wanted to just... Um, say that it says like all the remaining steps, step three calls for affirmative action to cut away the self-will that blocks the entry of God. So if I'm, if I'm constantly holding on to my old ideas, my old beliefs, my old thinking, my own old resentments, because that's really, you know, that was the real meat and potatoes of, of my um, staying stuck. When I'm holding on to all of those I'm blocked, and I can't let God in, right? So that needs to happen. That, that fact-facing, fact-finding mission of the, of the fourth and fifth step needs to happen. The sixth and seventh step needs to show me where my new ideals are once I see how my thinking was distorted. And steps eight and nine, I need to change. I need to live in this new attitude now. And it's something real. It's not forced. It's not, it's not acting as if. I keep 
I keep my mouth shut a lot these days. I relax and take it easy because that's what the book tells me to do. That's the attitude I take towards my higher power. I, I don't have to work too hard. I have to relax and take it easy, and I have to trust and rely upon him. That's the switch. And the, the, it's interesting because it's like, you know, when, when I talk to pe- people about my spiritual experience and they want to know, like the big question is, well, don't you ever get triggered back? Well, yeah, I get triggered to the old way of thinking sometimes. You know, just like with cancer, you know, you might have cancer cells removed and one or two might linger. And then, you know, you go back in for some more surgery. And we do this with step 10. I do this with receiving somebody else's fifth step. Because when I hear their distorted thinking, and I can still relate to it, then God comes in and I have a new experience with the step, but from the other side. And it's just ongoing and continual and expansive. So um, I'm open to learning more and to having uh, more spiritual experiences and to share other people's spiritual experiences, which are second to my own spiritual experience, the biggest gift of this program. Um, Yeah, so I think I'm about to wrap up. And I'm just looking at my notes to see if there's anything. Well, I just wanted, yeah, we, Leah and I talked about the, we had a nice little conversation before I was going to share the other day with the dimmer switch idea of spiritual experience. The dimmer switch going up, up, up. The room is getting brighter. You know, it could go very, very slowly. You could make it go up incrementally, right? Or you could just like, bam, put on the light, right? So the dimmer switch is a good analogy because, you know, the reverse happens. Sometimes the brightness starts to dull and we say, oh, but where is my higher power? I had this experience. You know, for me, I, I, it's helpful. Someone shared this with me the other day about the higher power being behind the clouds, being be- the sun behind the clouds on a cloudy day, right? I have had an experience. I know that there's something warm behind there. I have felt it on my skin. I've had that experience. I don't see it, but I know it's there. That's the thing. Once you have a vital experience with that power, you'll never again be able to convince yourself that it doesn't exist. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Chrissy. That's wonderful. Wonderful. It's a beautiful, beautiful personal illustration of the promises of soberly working the 12 steps. You know, I think of the words when I was listening to you that that um, something has come over you. There's this fresh skin and glowing kind of thing, something inexplicably different about it. And it's all those markings that are evidence of those huge emotional displacements, rearrangements, and attitudes. They have clearly been cast aside. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. You really gave a lot to us to, to have on a recording. We will ask Chrissy for her contact information um, at the conclusion of this meeting, so you want to stay on the line for that. Now I'd like to open up the lines to those that have some questions today for Chrissy. If you would... Order, that would be wonderful. Lord. Thank you. 
Laura G. Hi, Laura G. Liz T. Hi, Liz. Kathy K. And Kathy K. Good morning. Good. I'm sorry. I heard Lucy, but I heard something before Lucy. Mindy R. Mindy R. And if anybody happens to be on speakerphone or that sort of thing, if they could adjust, that would be helpful for us. Siobhan. Anybody else? Siobhan. Siobhan. Gotcha. Alia A. Alia A. Okay, let's go with that lineup. That sounds like a good one. I'm going to stop right there, folks. And if everybody could press star one to mute the line to keep it nice and quiet for Laura G to be able to ask her question. Star one, please, everyone. Not just your own personal mute. Thank you. Good morning. Um, thanks for your service. Um, I, I'm a... I'm hearing an echo, so I was hoping that it's it's not. Yeah, me, somebody's not, somebody's not quite on mute. Has not quite pressed star one yet, but they'll get there. Thanks so much. Go ahead. Don't let it disturb you. Okay, got it. Um, um, your your um service was powerful, and um, I do have a question. Um, you know, the experience with higher power it. You mentioned how um, there is no time reference, and um, and I get that. And you mentioned other addictions, which um, are sometimes a very slow. You know, they can get confusing in between with all those different things. You know, okay, I'll forget about food. I'll go here. I'll forget about you know. And you always, I always would go back. I don't hear you. Am I being heard now? Laura, I can do you hear you. want to press star one again? Okay, there you go. Did you hear anything I said? Hello? Go ahead and ask your question one more time, please. Okay. It was about, it was about the, um, you mentioned about insanity and how some people don't, I mean, you talked about cross-addiction, all the different addictions you've, you've gone through and time, how higher power doesn't, um, under there is no time, um, so I just wanted to, like most people on the line, they talk about being in program for years before they have this awakening and this experience. And I just w- wanted to to know concisely if you could just like um, the first experience through the years, you know, and how mm. it's just kept extrapolating and 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 mm. that's it. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. That's such a beautiful question because it gives me an opportunity to talk about things that I didn't really mention in the talk because it's, you know, for me, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sacred ground to talk about the steps because of how powerful they are and how effective they are in creating the change in people. But, and I have to have to say this, you know, very carefully because I don't want it to be misunderstood. There, there were moments when I put down alcohol, when I experienced, I could experience God's love and know what was possible for me. And 
they were they were different. They were fleeting. You know, maybe it was like the the clouds coming coming in and me not seeing the sun and me thinking maybe the sun doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's like but but no, I saw it. I know I saw it. You know? So I had moments of that. There has to be a God. You know, because I didn't I didn't die when I made myself throw up for hours and hours and my heart felt like it was going to stop. Like, you know, there was moments where there must be, there must be a, a higher power, but I didn't, I didn't have the experience, the change in my, my thinking, the major thinking. What I did have was an opening up to the possibility of, so, you know, really that's kind of that attitude that we take. It says we have to have a simple attitude towards our higher power. That that happens however it happens for a person. That process, their their process with steps one, two, and three, because you can't have a vital spiritual experience if you don't believe in the existence of some higher power, right? So that process I think takes people a long time, but I think if they truly do take that attitude and truly do take steps one, two, and three and go straight into step four, I believe that they will have an immediate, immediate effect and then it'll be gradual over time. But the, the coming to that place of steps one, two, and three is a, it could be a slow and gradual process of awakening. I hope that answers your question. Can I be heard? I like to Perhaps hear. it's me. Perhaps. Hang on just one second. I'm going to try to call for Liz T. Ms. T, can you press star one, please? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Liz. Your question, please, for Chrissy. Yes. Chrissy, thanks so much for your share this morning. And um, if we can get people to also just press star one. Sorry about that, Liz. We have some background noise. Sure. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. So thanks, thanks again for your service. And my the question's swirling around in my head. The steps, and they're still, you know, struggling, not really having that vital spiritual experience. How would you describe your step one experience with a recovered sponsor when you talked about putting down your drug? Um, with, that intimate conversation where, where you, um, I'm guessing, looked closely with the sponsor at ingredients, behaviors. If there's anything you think that might be helpful in that area for someone returning or new that is wrapping their head around entire abstinence. Thank you. Wow. Thanks for the question. Let's start one. Please, Chrissy. Can I be heard? You can now. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you. I'm probably um, not the best person to answer that question um, 
because of the way my mind works and the way I think. You know, I when the bottoms that I I hit and the step ones that I took were usually face down on the floor alone. Um, yeah, by the time, for me, by the time I came to a sponsor, I, I was already convinced, I was already convinced that I was powerless over food. So, um, you know, in, in terms of going through that process with someone, I think that if we're, if we're all really honest and we have the ability to be honest, because it says we need that. We need the, in order to take these steps, we have to have the ability to be honest with ourselves. Um, then when talking to a sponsor and seeing your behavior with food and going through that process, you have to see that you're powerless, right? So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to elaborate on the question a little bit more, but that's all I got. Thank you, Liz T. Kathy Kay, it's time for your question, please. Star one. Thank you, Melanie, for your service, and thank you, Chrissy. It was wonderful to hear you. Um, I am really interested in knowing uh, what you do on a daily basis to foster your connection with your higher power. Mm, I love that. Okay. I love that question. Um, yeah, I love talking about my relationship with my higher power. Um, yeah, so I, I, have an, I have an attitude. I had a, a change in my thinking about God, and I have, an, I have a changed attitude. Just believing when I got up in the morning, even if I'm not feeling my connection to God, you know, having, having that feeling, that warm and fuzzy feeling inside, I know that, that, that my higher power is there. I know that. So, so I start there from that foundation so that I go to church most mornings and I do my prayer and my meditation there. Um, I do a lot of readings throughout the day. My, my phone is a big part of my practice because I listen to all sorts of spiritual books on tape. Um, I'm open to all different kinds of philosophies because every single religion that I read about talks about the 12 steps in my mind. And, you know, I just, um, I work, I guess a, a big part of staying connected for me is working with other people and taking them through fourth and fifth steps and having that powerful experience of seeing their thinking change seeing people recover. I also, you know, part of my practice is to continue to take inventory on my, my thinking. And I do inventory in other programs. I belong to a, a, pro, a, a group, actually, that's um, another 12-step program and OA combined. 
and and we work we work really diligently with each other to help change our old thoughts and ideas to let the power of God come in. And then on the days when I wake up and the sun is figuratively shining within me and I can feel God's love, I just am so grateful for those days. And I, I try to, I try to share it with other people because there'll be days when I'm not feeling it and I can feel other people that are feeling it, my network people. And I just, I just soak it all in from, from them. So when I'm feeling it, I, I really share it. And that's all I have. Thank you so much, Kathy Kay, for your question. Lucy C., you're next. And then Mindy will be after you. Your question, please, Lucy. Yes, I got it. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? I can, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, thank you for your service and also, Christy, for sharing so much. The question I have is with when you were speaking of selfishness and self-centeredness, you said I'm the only one who can take care of myself, which is a, a thought process you had and that your perception needed to be changed. And I, I do believe in God, and I, I go to him daily, and I, I think about that. But I do have this attitude that if it's to be, it's up to me. So could you mm. get some more light on this, this perspective? Because I, I didn't see it as selfish as self. It's like I just have to take care of myself. I have to do what I have to do, period. So could you uh, shed some more light on that? Oh, I would love to. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite topics because I came, I grew up in a family where it was every man for himself. I mean, if, you know, it's like on Sunday when the spaghetti and meatballs went on the table, if you w- didn't have your fork up and ready, you may not get one, you know? I, and, I know it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so so that was a metaphor for my whole life after that. And um, what I've come to believe and experience, like truly, I'm telling you this, with complete and utter experience, um, that this really has happened to me. I really do this. I really live this. That post letting go of my old attitude about life that I had that I had to take care of myself and I had to fend for myself. Once I realized that there was was a God that really was underwriting all of all that was going on. He was in it all. And I came to see in my fourth and fifth step that not only was was I deluded in my thinking at times, but that for certain I didn't know anything. Like, for certain. Do you know what I'm saying? That I had to question everything that I thought. That the direction and the truth comes from my creator, the one who created me. And, and so, how could I set off on a mission to do something on any given day thinking that I know? I don't. I, I had a change in my thinking. I know that I don't know, that I am not that powerful, that there's so much that I don't see. I, that's my experience because things that I thought were true were turned right over on their heads through this experience, through this change. That's all I have. Thanks. 
Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lucy, for your question. Mindy, all you're next, and then Siobhan will come after Mindy. Hey, Mindy, good morning. Star one. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, just want to make sure. So um, pretty much my question, uh, well, thank you very much for your share this morning, and I really needed to listen. Um, when my my hairs were going up on my back, I knew um, I needed to tune in a little bit more. And um, sometimes things that were said, nothing against you or anything, just things that were said felt very uncomfortable for me with the higher power and God concept and everything. But the question I had, I think you pretty much answered it about um, changing my attitude and thinking and with a connection with a higher power and um, the process when you said slow and gradual. And I think I just need to be easy, easy does it with myself. And um, I've been in program for over 30 years and I've had a wonderful, um, wonderful life prior to a major uh, parent's worst nightmare that has happened. And a lot of people can't relate to my story and then some can. But um, being an addict, of course, I'm, I'm the extreme with everything. And um, trusting the God, G-O-D, is very difficult for me. So when I hear people share, I really want to tune into how they recover. And um, so, um, so I guess pretty much the question that I had was, um, how do I get back to that ex- spiritual experience and have that wonderful life, which I don't. I don't think I will ever have in my life because I lost my child. But um, I, I always say, you know, I don't believe it's God's will. Like that's not God's will to take a child from their parent and the way mm. they did it. And so that's my struggle. And, um, and before that ever happened, I had total faith and trust in like I had, I, I can't even explain it. So um, I don't know if you want to irradiate to that. Yes. Or, um, and the only other thing is my daughter did have cancer. So it's really hard when I hear people say that, um, this disease is like cancer, but it's true. I mean, the cells did come back. There were only five 1% of cells left. So you're, you know, you're, you are right. I, nothing against you or anything. Please don't take it personally. It's not, not at all. It's me. It's me. Not that's at all. My, uh, that's my question. Thank you so much for your question. And it's, I think it's one of the biggest blocks that human beings have um, because I, I'll share from my experience that I lost my first child. And um, I was already in AFA for many years, and I had, I had a faith, you know. I, I had the kind of faith that I had was that if you did the right things, then the right things would happen to you. And, um, you know, and all, you know, up until that point, that was true. You know, I didn't, I didn't hurt myself with drugs and alcohol anymore. So I met a nice man. Um, you know, I showed up for work every day I could because I wasn't, you know, drinking anymore um, and being self-destructive. So I actually could keep a job and earn money and buy a house, you know, and I had a body healthy enough to get pregnant. Um, all of these things happened as a result of right living, right? And um, they were blessings from God, right? I mean, this is what I was learning. This is what I was taught growing up. And um, 
when I when I tell you this, and I'm not going to be able to explain how I think and how I feel um, on this short little phone call, and I'd be more than happy to talk to you anytime for for hours about this topic if you if you want. Um, but all I can tell you is that I no longer believe that I, my my human understanding is adequate to see the whole picture of what's happening and why things happen. I I no longer think that, you know, I I think I try to make sense of things. We try to make sense of things. You know, people say, Oh, you know, mine was a little my baby was a little girl too and, you know, she was probably not healthy. That's probably, you know, why she didn't make it. You know, she wasn't it was God's will. She wasn't she didn't mean, but, uh, you know, that, that, that's a nice idea, you know, uh, not a nice idea, a convenient answer, but I don't necessarily think it's the truth, but I'll give you one, one quick example. Cause this example is too, it's too close to home to really show how I could see that my thinking is sometimes that God the way God works is just so mysterious. So my son, I had three kids after that. And my son was 18 at the time when this incident happened. And um, his father, I met in AA, and he was not getting recovered, but just staying without his drug. And so there was a lot of anger issues in the house. And I was just um, in early OA recovery. This was four years ago, and my son was 18. And once again, he didn't get up by his alarm clock, and his father got very physical with him and um, put him in a in a chokehold and got him down on the ground. And and I needed to I needed to do something. And I was so petrified. And so my husband went on a business trip. And then my um, my sponsor or my, my spiritual advisor at, at the time, they all told me that I needed to do something. You know, my thinking, my thinking was that, you know, this is, my belief was that the best thing for my children would be to stay with their father, that 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 was the right thing. Like, why would, why would God be doing this? Why, why would this be happening? Right. And all I can tell you is that, you know, the way, the way I used to think about the world, how it was so simple, like girl meets boy, gets married, has baby, um, buys a house, retires. That's not how I see life anymore. You know, my kids have changed in miraculous ways because of the divorce, you know, and is anybody going to tell me that it was, we did eventually have a divorce. Is anybody going to tell me that, you know, that wasn't the most loving, best thing to happen in their lives? You know, you, you can't say something is good or bad. It's, it's not that easy. You can't just say, Oh, you know, divorce is bad. You know, death is bad. Um, losing people's bad, you know, loving someone who's here for a short time is bad. 
we, we can't, we, it's not so black and white. And so I, you know, with all complete respect, um, this is a very simple answer to a very complicated life issue and problem, but I would be happy to talk more with you outside of this call. Thanks. That's it. With that, I pass. Thank you, Mindy R., for your question. Siobhan, it's your turn for your question. Star one, please. And then Alila Alia will come in after you. Star one, Siobhan. Your question, please. Well, perhaps while Shaban's getting around, we'll go along with to um, Aliyah. Aliyah, are you there? Star one, please. Hi, this is Aliyah. Aliyah, thank you so much for that pronunciation. I appreciate it. I'll get that better. <laughs> no problem. Um, firstly, thank you, Chrissy. I I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience because I you were talking you were only sharing my story um, about my relationship with my dad. Um, and it, it felt nice to know that there's hope that I'd be able to let go of that resentment. Um, you know, I'm new to the program, and I was wondering if you could expand on your experience going to step two to three. I believe in higher power. Um, I think I have it was striking into the program, but I can't really wrap my head around how to go from Believing in the fact that there is somebody out there is completely mm-hmm. giving my will over to him. So if you have any advice on that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. And I boss. Mm. Thank you. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Christy. Go ahead. Oh, so, yeah. Um, so, so any relationship has to be built on trust and a little bit at a time. You know, I, I, um, I can't, I can't really say how many hundreds of experiences I had before like taking, taking a, a big step to trust God, you know, having, getting pregnant again after I lost that baby, um, first was, was turning my will and my life over to God. You know, every time I got up and wanted to live my life, I turned my will and my life over to God. Every time I decide to live life without food and without control, without trying to manage and control people and circumstances in my life, I'm turning my will and my life over and I'm building relationships. Because I'm seeing, I have what they call, you know, a sober reference to be able to say, I did it, and and it worked out well. But you have to remember, it's like, you just need to be willing in one, two, and three. And you'll have an experience in step four and five that will change your thinking. So that you'll know, as my one of my spiritual advisors um, says, you'll know that you'll know, you'll, he, he always used to say, I knew that I knew that I knew. And, and that's what it'll be like. It'll, it'll be something that you know is real. And so, and something that you love in return, you feel loved and you love. It's a relationship that you establish. 
but it has to start somewhere. And and when you first go on a date with somebody, you have to be willing to give them a chance, right? And so you show up, you know, and you give them the benefit of the doubt, and you try not to jump to too many conclusions. <laughs> and uh, it's sort of like that. That's all I have. Thank you, Alia. Um, we're going to open up the lines for additional people for the last invitation for additional people to ask questions of Chrissy G. But in the meantime, I want to give one more shout out to see if Shaban C is still with us. Press star one. Hi, thank you so much. It is Shavon C. Um, can I be heard? Mm-hmm. Okay, Chrissy, I, I wanted to thank you so much. I had a very similar uh, spiritual experience, and I had it in five days last week. And my sponsor dropped me because I, 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 I didn't do my 10th, 11th steps. My question is, would you take me? Because I knew you were coming. I saw you. I knew that you'd be here. And that when she dropped me, it was just to heal the abandonment, to see if my changing really was I going to go back to the old ways. And, and I, knew, I knew then that there was no turning back and that you were existing in the world and I saw you, I didn't see you, but, you know, I just knew, and you, when you said this story, oh my God, I, I could talk for hours with you about the parallels, but I just ask, will you sponsor me? That, that is a conversation that we can have outside of the phone line, because it's a really okay, personal, my que- intimate thing. Then my question is, what's your phone number? And then everyone can benefit, right? And sure. we'll give that out later, as we always do after the recording has stopped, if you wouldn't mind, Chrissy. Oh, sure, sure. Thank You're you. just following the format protocol. Thanks so much. Okay, so let's open it up for the last invitation. For those that want to ask you a question this morning, are you up to us? Hi, Melanie. This is Raquel. Hi, Raquel. Let's see who else is out there, Raquel. Anyone else with a question for Chrissy? Pardon me? Oh, can I? Have it. Just one moment. Beverly R. Hi, Beverly. Is that it? Hi, this is Katie G. Yeah. Oh, hey, Katie. Okay. Hey. Excellent. Thanks. Teresa M. Teresa. Okay, let's go with that. That sounds like a good wrap-up lineup. Raquel E., Beverly R., Katie G., and Teresa M. Good morning, Raquel. It is your turn for your question for Chrissy. Hi. Thank you so much for your service, uh, Melanie. And Chrissy, thank you so much for this deep, heartfelt um, experience. I feel like another miracle God puts in front of me, somebody in whom really the problem had been solved. The, the biggest problem of finally knowing that I really know that I know that I don't know. I like that very much. M- makes me go back to uh, to what Bill said after the three pertinent ideas after we read the steps, and uh, and I I heard that he kind of it's a comment, but there'll be a question that he. Um, that the, the first hundred people kind of rounded the corners, the edges of how he said it so very uh, strongly uh, in the original text. He said that if by now you haven't been convinced, either go back to step one, do again one, two, and three, or throw the book away because it's not for you. So they kind of modified it to, we hope that by now you are 
convinced in your inner self and so on. So I am, I go back there all the time. I, I loved hearing you. I know the protocol too well to ask you for your phone number now, but I would love to have a good conversation with you about that because not my belief in him, but my trust is a, like, it's something that like flashes of that I get, but it's not with me all the time. And I get scared again and again, you know, that feeling that I'm all alone here. And this feeling that I had from childhood on, uh, that uh, actually of being rejected, of saying, okay, you go ahead and manage this by yourself. I gave you enough what to do it with. And that's a little bit of pride and a lot of fear and all the other good uh, in parentheses things that you mentioned. And I thank you very much because seeing is believing. I see you. I, I see you. You come through very clear. And if you could do it, I hope you know that I don't have too much time anymore on, on this earth, I believe, but I, that I, I will make some progress in that too. So I just wanted to thank you so much. And I pass. Thank you. Mm. Thank you so much. And um, I would love to talk to you outside of the meeting. And I just, you know, just very quickly, I'll just say that it's, um, this, this is but a beginning. The, the, the steps, just doing the steps the first time is but a beginning. Doing the steps again, taking on sponsees, and also reading, reading and expanding my spiritual life, which is what the book encourages me to do, is all part of the process, and I'd love to talk to you about it anytime. Thank you so much. Amen. I've been in program since 1979. So uh, I've gone through the whole thing, but this one thing is really slow in coming. Mm -hmm. It's the dimmer. Mm -hmm. I like the dimmer that you said. It's like the dimmer, turning on mm -hmm. a little more, a little less, two steps forward, one back. Thank you so much. Thank I don't you. want to take time. I'll Thank you so I'll much, Raquel. Thank you. Now let's, let's move on to Beverly and her question this morning. Good morning, Beverly R. Star one. Hello, it's Beverly R. Good morning. Can you hear me? Please? Sure. Okay. Hi. Well, um, what came to mind when I was listening to you was my experience with my own father. And um, I, what happened, I, I, I seem to remember, I was in his room, I was looking in the mirror. <laughs> I think I was wearing a miniskirt, and I think he was he had just complimented me on how I looked. I think that's what happened. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, I, we were having a conversation, and I said, I, I am going to become a nun. And his response was, was, you would need to be kept in chains. And it just reverberated with me for all these years. And I thought he meant that I was a bad girl and it was impossible for me to become a nun. But when I spoke to other people otherwise, they said it wasn't that he didn't trust you, Beverly. Maybe he didn't trust the men and... um. I, I I know that I also had a turbulent relationship with my father, especially during my teenage years. And um, he did a very simple thing that I thought was unloving and unkind. 
And it's like I never forgave him. I just lashed out at him. And we'd have terrible quarrels all the time. I'd pick fights with him. And he once said, why can't you be like your sister? I, I, so I we're just in the it. interest of time, would you formulate that into a question? We have a couple of Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's I'm okay. So I just want to see if we could formulate yeah. it real good for Chrissy. Thanks so much. So um, my question, I had a question. How do you um, make an amends to someone who's dead or to someone who you're no longer in contact with and have no way of contacting? That's what mm. I'd like to know. Mm. Okay, thank you so much. Okay. I got I got lost in, in your... Um, I could see you there as a little girl with the miniskirt on and and I yeah, the complicated relationships of fathers and daughters and, and also um how do we make amends to people who pass away. Those are all really, really good questions and it it can be done, you know, because it's the way the what I've experienced is the power of God penetrates death, time, space, everything and and healing, healing can happen when your intention is to let God in to heal that place. So there are a lot of different processes that you could go through. Um, some people recommend writing letters to people who have passed. Um, you know, if you if you feel like you did did something to someone, you could also find someone in a similar situation and help them in in um, place of that person. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that if, if I, if I, I felt bad that I didn't help my grandmother out, this is, this is true. You know, she was sick and I couldn't see her, I couldn't see her sick. So I stayed away from her and that was my, you know, the amends I had to make up to her. And now it's like, I could really be there for other people in my family when they're sick. Um. And I could do that in, in honor of her. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Beverly, for your question. Very much. Beverly R. <laughs> Katie G., your question, please, this morning. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Chrissy. Thank you so much <clears throat> for your wonderful talk. I'm sorry if this question feels redundant, but um, I'm hoping that you could address um, any spiritual cornerstones, for lack of a better word, spiritual truths or pursuits that help you when you um, are feeling like things are are pretty dark anything that's um, that helps uh, sustain you any um, practices whatnot things like that I hope that's clear yes very clear and getting emotionally I, I work with kids with special needs as I think you know and getting emotionally regulated is is so important and you know kids need parents to do that we need fellow travelers to do that and to get emotionally regulated to that that's that's key because I can't let the sunlight of the spirit come in if I'm all choked up with emotion so I do a lot of things to get emotionally regulated you know I talk to people I exercise I do yoga and meditation I go to church you know and once I'm feeling calm then then I could engage in my practices. And you know what? The good news and bad news of that is, you know, 
our our hectic American lifestyle is not conducive to all that. You know, it's like we want to push and go and get over it, and you know, I want to do a quick ten step, and then I want to I want to chop chop, you know, move on with my day, and that's not always the way it is, you know. But I have to say, like, even when when I'm I I need to get reconnected, and I'm using whatever practice, and for me, it's my religion, you know, and and I recommend that people explore different ones because they're good tools. Um, God is God to me. And it's just like, you know, you know, <laughs> so stupid, but it just came to me like a blow dryer is a blow dryer, right? It doesn't matter what it looks like. It, it, its purpose is the same. It's going to dry your hair. So I, <laughs> I kind of feel like that's the way religious practices are and spiritual practices. It's like, which one fits you, your personality, your temperament, use that and use it for all it's worth and know that it's man-made and fallible, but just use it to get connected. Um, so I go to church, I go to confession, I I love all of the ceremony and the incense and the, I just, you know, the beads, the prayers, the, you know, I do it all. And, um, and it's great. And I love it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G, for your question. And Teresa M, you'll be our last question for today. Star one, please. Hi, this is Teresa. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Um, just always so wonderful to hear Chrissy and, um, and, and just amazing, just amazing. Um, um, I love the motivation behind the resentment prayer, seeing that other people's as human and acting out of their fears. And then coupled with the delusion of my own thinking that it's my own thinking. Um, I really you know, I have to examine that every time I do that. But whenever I can motivate and see that the other people are just, they really are just sick like me. Um, I wanted to ask Christy about this expansion of this, of, of her higher power. And going forward, where does she see this taking her? Um, that expansiveness um, with the steps and uh, with her life and then with working with others. Um, I want to hear her hope. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you so much, and I have a ready answer, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it really short and sweet because as my daughter just reminded me, she said, you're talking about your, your, your childhood and how you're happy now and everything's good, and you're neglecting me. As I'm sitting here, my 12-year-old, she's, she's smiling at me with her little impish smile right now. But And what I need to say really quickly is, where it's going, where I'm expanding to, is an increasing ability to give and receive love. And that, to me, is what it's all about. Every time I have an experience with the step, my heart grows bigger and bigger, like the Grinch. And with that, I pass. Thank you. That's a beautiful way, beautiful way to top this off. That would conclude our question and answer portion of this meeting. And just as a reminder, please join us tomorrow morning, Monday, November 5th at 7 or 10 a.m. Eastern time as we gather together to study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Again, we'll be on page 153 in the chapter of Vision for You. So let's begin our closing this morning. The share ID today for Sunday, November 4th, 2018 is 12139. 12,139. And we'll close this meeting like we close all of our meetings of a Sunday special edition by reading 
on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourselves to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as we trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep